0: 1 Kings chapter 21, beginning in verse 1. Sometime later, there was an incident involving a vineyard belonging to Naboth, the Jezreelite. The vineyard was in Jezreel, close to the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. Ahab said to Naboth, Let me have your vineyard to use for a vegetable garden, since it's close to my palace. In exchange, I'll give you a better vineyard, or if you prefer, I'll pay you whatever it's worth. But Naboth replied, The Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my ancestors. So Ahab went home, sullen and angry, because Naboth, the Jezreelite, had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my ancestors. He lay on his bed, sulking and refused to eat. His wife Jezebel came in and asked him, Why are you so sullen? Why won't you eat? He answered her, Because I said to Naboth the Jezreelite, Sell me your vineyard, or if you prefer, I will give you another vineyard in its place. But he said, I will not give you my vineyard. Jezebel, his wife, said, Is this how you act as king over Israel? Get up and eat. Cheer up. I'll get you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name, placed his seal on them and sent them to the elders and nobles who lived in Naboth's city with him. In those letters, she wrote, proclaim a day of fasting and seat Naboth in a prominent place among the people, but seat two scoundrels opposite him and have them bring charges that he has cursed both God and the king. Then take him out and stone him to death. So the elders and nobles who lived in Naboth city did as Jezreel directed in the letters she had written to them. Now everything happens just the way Jezreel and Ahab had planned. Ahab uh, Jez, Jezebel, everything happened just as Jezebel had planned. Okay, so let's skip down to verse 15. As soon as Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned to death, she said to Ahab, Get up and take possession of the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, that he refused to sell you. He is no longer alive, but dead. When Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, he got up and went down to take possession of Naboth's vineyard. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite. Go down and meet Ahab, the king of Israel, who rules in Samaria. He is now in Naboth's vineyard, where he has gone to take possession of it. Say to him, this is what the Lord says have you not murdered a man and seized his property then say to him this is what the Lord says in the place where dogs licked up Naboth's blood dogs will look up your blood yes yours Ahab said to Elijah so you have found me my enemy I have found you and he answered Because you have sold yourself to the devil in the eyes of the Lord. Let's say our scripture declaration together. Lord, we honor your word to us. May your truth become our heart's pursuit and our life's practice. Heavenly Father, please bless the rest of this time together. The opening of your word, the preaching of your word, and singing these praises to you. May you get glory by it. Amen. All right, church, let's continue to worship our Lord
1: to the passage of scripture that Eric read just a few moments ago from 1 Kings chapter 21. This passage of scripture is getting towards the very end. We actually only have today and then next week of the different lessons that we have from the, the story of Elijah, bold and broken. And I have absolutely loved teaching through this man's life, this character's life. We've kind of been in a couple of different places, and I was going to show you where we were last week. Just in case you missed, you can go back uh, to passing the torch, talking about how you can pass along those things which are important to you. And then today, we're going to be talking about when God's patience wears thin. And then next week, we're going to be talking about the, the lesson that I've entitled, No, No Death. And I know that that sounds like a really cool 80s action movie, No, No Death, you know. So that's why I titled it that. It's uh, very interesting to see how Elijah ends his life, but I just wanted to preach a message where I literally had it titled, No, No Death, you know. And maybe, I don't know, maybe you guys can say it a little bit better than I can. My voice isn't nearly low enough, but I'm trying. So it is good to see you a, a part of the Things that are going on today. All right, so let me just remind you that today we are going to be talking about Elijah from the Great Lies from God's Word series. I'm actually going to be quoting a couple of different times from Chuck Swindoll, who is kind of the one who wrote these series of books. And I encourage you, if you want to go deeper on any Bible character, these are great opportunities. But let's go back and remember where we've been. This is something to learn or relearn, maybe in this case. After Solomon, the King Solomon uh, that followed his father David, who followed the first king of Israel, Saul. After Solomon, the Hebrew kingdom was divided into two separate nations, Judah and Israel. And the nation of Israel was the northern kingdom, and the nation of Judah was the southern kingdom. That nation of Israel had 19 kings over its 200-year reign that it had, and all 19 of them were evil kings. They were going their own way and going away from the God that actually brought them out to be a nation. And so it's very important that we know that in the context of what we see today, God's patience is beginning to wear thin. He has waited and waited for them to change their ways, and each one has gotten progressively worse and progressively further away from God. And don't miss this. I want you to make sure and know that Ahab and Jezebel, who we heard about in this story that that, uh, Eric just read just a, a few minutes prior to our preaching time, Ahab and Jezebel pulled all the strings for other powerful people in their nation to conspire to take away the only maybe only possession of a powerless individual. They killed him for his land, not because they didn't have land of their own, not because they didn't have possessions and riches of their own, but because that's just what he happened to want that day. And when he didn't get it, if you listen closely, you heard he kind of sulked like he was a little spoiled brat of a child. He didn't get what he wanted and so he went And he wouldn't eat, and he went and laid down on his bed and acted like he was, you know, in some sort of pain. His wife Jezebel came to him and said, Oh, baby, tell me what's wrong. That's the New Texas version. And so he says, Oh, well, I wanted this Naboth's vineyard. It was right here. I wanted it. And this is what I said, and this is what he said. And he's just. A whiny, sniveling little dude who happens to be king. He's not powerful. He's not regal. He's not stately. He's not even selfless for the people in his uh, country. Instead, he wants what he wants and he wants it now. You know, that kind of attitude. And so Jezebel says, well, don't even worry about it because I'm going to take care of it for you. She hatches a plan where she goes and she says, Have Naboth, the Jezreelite, brought into a get-together, seat him in a prominent place, but then put two thieves on either side, two scoundrels, as the Bible says, and then pretend that he said some things that will cause him to be stoned. One, speaking against God and the temple and the king. That's exactly how it all happens. Naboth is killed and then they take possession of his land because he wouldn't sell it to him while he was alive. And so even though everyone else figures that it's just happened and it's going to keep going and nothing's going to be done about this injustice, God says, I've had enough. My patience has worn thin. You have gone too far and now this is no longer something that I'm willing to just sit back and allow to happen. And so he sends his... Prophet Elijah, the man that we've been studying about, and he gives him an incredibly dire warning. He says, you know, you had Naboth killed. And in the same place that his body was disposed and the blood was dripping and that kind of thing, and dogs went over and licked up the blood, that's the same exact thing that's going to happen to you because you're going to be killed in the way that you killed this innocent man for your own pleasure and your own desire to be fulfilled. It is scary stuff whenever God says, I am against you. But this is where we are with Ahab. Over and over and over again, the Bible has said that Ahab was one of the most evil kings that ever ruled in the nation of Israel. And God has just simply had enough. Now, I want to just make sure that you grasp something here. And this is the second something to learn that I want to make sure that we get here. The Hebrew phrase that Elijah uses when he sees Ahab coming his way. Ahab walks into Elijah and he basically recognizes him. And Ahab says to Elijah, is that you, my old enemy? And then Elijah says something really powerful. He says... I'm your enemy and I have found you today because you have sold yourself to do what is wrong in the sight of God. And this idea, this concept, this phrasing of the Hebrew words, you've sold yourself, implies habitual, constant action. Interestingly, it can also mean to marry yourself to wickedness. And wickedness is someone that we know that Jezebel has always represented. Even to this day, I know that none of y'all are planning on naming your daughters Jezebel, right? Um, probably not even your dog, Jezebel, <laughs> I would guess. So they, this name that he has married himself to is not just a woman who is personifying evil, But also, he has realized that he has given himself over constantly, over and over and over, a willful choice to pursue the things that are wrong and those things which are against God. Now, let me just talk with you guys for a quick second. And I want to be very clear. I want you to understand that this is not the kind of message that I just love to preach. I don't look forward to saying, you know, I'm going to talk about God's, you know, justice and it's coming for you. And I don't want to be a person who's personified in any way as a hellfire and brimstone kind of preacher. I want to be the kind of preacher that tells you the truth and lays it out as honest as I possibly can. And the truth of the matter is, is that the same instrument that you can use For a knife fight is the same kind of thing that you can use for surgery. And so I want to be very clear. Today, as I talk about this lesson from the scriptures, I want you to understand I'm not here to put you and I in a knife fight. And I'm not here to injure you or harm you. But hopefully, I am here to give you the clarity that you need to understand that some things in your life might need to be cut out and taken away and out of your habits and out of your practices and out of the selling of yourselves to these things that you'd think that you have control over, but more likely have control over you. And I want to just be very, very clear that we realize in our own self that we do things wrong because we don't know when we're going to get the, the comeuppance, so to speak. We don't know when we're actually going to have to pay for our crimes, so that's why we're more likely to commit them. So here's what I want to say to you. I don't know when the time will come, but maybe you've seen the memes. Have you, have you guys seen the memes out there called Instant Karma? I don't know if any of you guys in the house, do any of y'all know anything about Instant Karma at all? Some of y'all do. Okay, a few of y'all. I get a couple of smiles this morning like, yeah, I've, I've heard about that. The idea is if you do something wrong and then you have to pay for it immediately, like you don't escape, you don't have any time between the wrong and the payment for it. It hits you instantly, and there are lots of memes out there for instant karma, but I I, I will just share a couple of them with you real quick, hopefully put a little bit of a smile on your face so you grasp the idea. Let's check this one out. Okay, so you see here, this is actually a guy from another country. Now, here in a minute, I want to be very, very clear about this. He's not giving you any kind of hand gesture that's bad. He's doing this, and I think that's H-Town. Like, for me, that's, like, cool, you know, H-Town, you know, hold it down. And so I'm all for that. And here in just a minute, he's going to be doing that. But I don't know what the bad gestures are in other countries, okay? So I think this is him upset with somebody and giving them a bad gesture in another country. But as you go to this next slide, you can see he walks straight into a pole as he's given somebody the wrong gesture. So he's walking across that, uh, that crosswalk and then, boom, smacks right into the pole. And you know that if you were in there and you saw him giving you that gesture, you're like, instant karma. Yes, you're paying for your sins right now. So that's one example of instant karma. Check out this next one if you can see it. This is a hit and run up in Wisconsin. And as you can see, you can see somebody came and scraped down somebody's car and they left the scene. But what you don't see in the top picture is, is that accidentally (laughs) they left their license plate. So there's not going to be any problem whatsoever of finding the person that did that. That's instant karma. It hits you immediately, right? So this is what instant karma is all about. It's getting the payment for your sins and getting it right here, right now. Well, I'm hoping that I made you smile, but the truth of the matter is, is that The truth that we often see in our own lives, in other people's lives, we know that people do the wrong thing and they do it willfully and they do it over and over or habitually, they go ahead and do it over and over again. But then eventually God's patience wears thin. And it's funny to talk about, you know, somebody running into a pole when they've, you know, been talking all kinds of smack in front of the car that you're driving and all that. But there can be a dangerous precedent in our life if we don't grasp that whether or not we're getting away with it is not making it okay or right or something that God, that God is not paying attention to. Let me be very clear. We, we've actually studied the book of Daniel and Rembrandt actually painted a painting from the book of Daniel about Belshazzar's feast and actually have a picture of that. And if you read the story, if you know the story from the book of Daniel, God's hand actually writes on the wall out of nothing and out of nowhere, out of the ether, God's hand begins to write. And he writes the words, mene mene tekel uparsen, which basically means... You have been weighed in the balances and you have been found lacking. And because of that, your kingdom is now taken from you and given to someone else. The thing is, is that Belshazzar for years and years and years had no concerns about whether or not he was shaking his fist in the face of the God of the universe. But finally God said, my patience is up, it's enough. And he began to write on the wall, you have been weighed in the scales and you've been found lacking. Now, I don't know about you, but that gives me chills. And I'm, I'm not just saying that. It gives me chills to think of the fact that one day I'm going to be standing before God and he's going to say, Randy, your life has been weighed in the balance. And I praise God that I know Jesus who is the ultimate equalizer. He is the one who saves me. But I do still yet have to give a response for the way that I've chosen to live my life. I will be a person who goes to heaven because I know Jesus as my savior. He has washed all of of my sins and he has forgiven me of all those things. But it still is important to know that I have a life that I have been given and God is going to require for me to give an accounting of those things that I've chosen to do with the life that he has given. And I wanna be very, very clear about this. This is not just... Belshazzar, a guy who had no use for God, who's going to be weighed. We look at David and how he is rebuked. If you remember the story of David, David is rebuked because he has committed adultery with Bathsheba and then tried to hide it by killing her husband. And so as the Bible brings up, it's so similar to what um, Ahab does to Naboth, David does here. And so if you look at this passage of Scripture, how David is rebuked, David burned with anger because they told him a story about a little lamb that was taken when a man only had one. And there were so many other lambs for this man who stole it. And David burns with anger and he says, As surely as the Lord lives, that man who did this thing must die. He must pay for that lamb that he stole four times over because he had such a thing and did did such a thing and had no pity. And then Nathan says to him and looks him in the eye and says, but you are that man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. And then listen to this. He goes on and he says, I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you from the hands of Saul. I gave you your master's house. I gave you your master's wives. I gave you all of Israel and all of Judah. And if that had been too little, I would have given you even more. In other words, God says, I've given you everything that your heart could have easily desired. And you've turned your back on me and chosen to do something that brings reproach on me. And I think it's so important that we grasp that in the same way that God held an evil king responsible for his actions... God is going to hold us responsible for our actions. This is a man after God's own heart. But God is not willing to let him off the hook when he has done something that he knows to be wrong. And let's just say this very quickly. In our world, we don't think about this being a big deal. Because we look around and we know that there are a lot of people that are out there, that are living life the way that they want, and we don't even see them having to pay the consequences. But the truth of the matter is, is that we can get ourselves in a cycle where we don't even think about how we are living our lives and whether it's right or wrong in God's sight. And this is something that can be a dangerous cycle. It's this to me. It's this. It's this picture. This is the picture that I see. Props to Bear Grylls, a dude who's probably 150 pounds, you know, some British guy out there who is now the survivor of survivors. He's out there in the middle of the ocean and you need water because you're under this hot sun. But the one thing you don't do is you don't drink the salt water, right? Why do you not drink the salt water? Because the minute that you do, you make yourself even more thirsty. I'm thirsty right now just thinking about it, right? And so this is the truth. You don't drink the salt water around you because it becomes a habit and a cycle. And the truth is, is that when we choose to do something we know is not wise when we choose to do something we know goes against God it becomes a fulfilling cycle that goes back and forth where we constantly put ourselves in the crosshairs of God's wrath and we got to be very careful just because we are Christians doesn't mean that's not true for us okay understanding sin let's be very clear about what sin is Sin is rebellion against God who made us and His laws. It's doing harm to the people that God has also made. And then it is just simply missing the mark. The truth of the matter is is that even if you and I haven't committed these egregious sins, we have missed the mark that God has out there for us. And we cannot ever forget this. The chains of habit are too weak to be felt until they are too strong to be broken. This is something that Samuel Johnson has said, and it resonates with us because we know this is true in our own own lives. So what happens when we sin? Very quickly, let me just talk about this. What happens when we sin? We volunteer for our own chains. Those chains might be spiritual chains. They might be physical. They might be mental They might be financial, they might be emotional, but whatever it is, we are volunteering for our own chains and we can never forget that that is true. Now, I don't know if you guys have ever thought about this, but let me just kind of put it in this way. I want to show you this picture and how many of you guys have ever seen sugar? dispensed in this way like you literally every time you go to any kind of place that has sugar for your coffee or something I don't know who made that little dispenser but they're a billionaire right I mean it's everywhere but here is this I can just put that up and you already know it's sugar that's just the truth well here is something you might not know about sugar that thing that comes in that kind of dispenser here's what you may not know The more sugar that you have, the more sugar you will crave. Your body takes about three or four days to kind of get rid of that sugar. But if you've ever noticed, especially around Halloween, when you get lots of good candy, I mean, you can kind of get ready and you have a little bit of sugar and then you think, oh, you know what I'm really craving right now? A little bit more sugar. And you get into this habit, this downward spiral of constantly wanting more. So you have more, which makes you crave more. And you have more, which makes you crave even more. This is true in our lives when it comes to sin. And this is important. We think we are running the show when it comes to sin. We got to be very careful because sin ends up running us. And this is true, not because I think it, but because Jesus said as much in John chapter 8. He says that we can easily become slaves to sin. And it happens so quickly. He said this in John 8. They answer Jesus, we're Abraham's descendants. We've never been slaves of anyone. How could you say that we need to be set free? And Jesus replies, I tell you very truly, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Now, can I just hit a pause real quick? I'm going to go ahead and give you the big idea, and then let's sit here for just a quick second. Let's talk about the big idea. Turning from sin feels like sacrifice, but it is actually embracing freedom in your life. Turning from sin and and participating in it and doing it and having these uh, concepts that constantly go through your life all the time, and you do them and you give in to them and you go down that road and that path. It feels like you're making a sacrifice to say no, but it is actually embracing freedom. Let me just say it this way. I could go through a long list of things and I could begin to tick them off. And it is not my desire to play the role of Holy Spirit in your life. But I want you to think about the fact that you and I have had this experience in our life. I know in my life, this is is not about you, this is about me. I know in my life that there have been times that I've given in to things that I should not give into, And then when I did, I found it harder and harder and harder to say no the more I gave into to it. In other words, it's just like that sugar. My sinful nature got fed a little bit and I had a craving for even more. I could list things, whether it's having to do with patterns of thought, patterns of action, things that you use as substances in your life. I can go on and on and on and tell you about the things that you and I do when we know we're giving into something that we ought not that makes it even harder to say no later. This is true even all the way back when Jesus spoke about it. When we give ourselves to sin, we think we're making the choice. Eventually the choice begins to make us. And I gotta be very honest with you. For most Christians in 2020, we don't talk a lot about sin because that's not politically correct. And you can't tell me what's right and wrong in my life. I'm not here to tell you what's right and wrong in your life. Just read the Bible and let God do that. Okay? But here's what I do know. I do know that God takes it seriously when we choose to sin in our life. And he eventually has his patience wear thin. Now, what else happens when we sin? I talked about this, that we choose and volunteer our own change, but let's look at a couple of other things. Very quickly, when we sin, we put our family and friends in danger, whether that's spiritual, physical, mental, financial, emotional, I don't know. Each sin is its own little animal, but I will tell you that you do not get to sin in a vacuum. I do not get to sin in a vacuum. What I choose For myself, that I think is so private, eventually spills out and is something that the people that I love the most have to pay for. Now, I don't want it to be that way. I have always found it to be that way. It is something that they end up having to deal with, even though I think it's something that's mine and mine alone. And then really quickly, when we sin, we put more at risk than we believe. Here's the interesting thing. In this story... Ahab doesn't realize that he is at the razor's edge of God's frustration. He does not realize that he's at the end of God's patience, but he is. And so the question is, is he going to just continue or is he going to make a change? And I want to just make sure I've said this before, and this is so important and so vital. This is so important that you grasp this. This is something to not miss. I've said it before. I'll say it again. You get to choose your sin but you do not get to choose your consequences. And I wish that weren't true, but that is true. You do not get to choose the consequences for the sin that you and I have. I don't, you don't, no one does. And you think that it's not gonna be a big deal, but the truth is, is that in Hosea chapter eight, verse seven, God says something very, very powerful. And he says this, he says, they sow the wind and they reap the whirlwind. Israel is swallowed up. Now she is among the nations like something that no one wants. I want to leave that up on the screen for just a second if you would, Scott. Please just leave that on the screen. It doesn't have to be me. But here's what I wanna share with you and show you. What that means is, is that there's a multiplication factor that's happening. When you sin, you might think it's small, but the problem is that the consequences come back bigger than when we, sown, when we had sown them. And I also wanna point out one other thing. Israel is swallowed up. Now she is among the nations like something that no one wants. Can I just tell you something? The world usually puts a price tag on you and on me, and it pretty much is the same one that we put on ourselves. If we think that it is no big deal for us to give ourselves to anything and everything that's easy and cheap, then guess what? We seem and we appear to other people to be easy and cheap. If we put a higher price tag on ourselves and say, I'm not gonna degrade myself in that way. I'm not gonna go down that road because that's not where I need to be. God has given me the power to say no and I think more of myself than that. If we can do that, it's an amazing thing. That people begin to value us and treat us with more respect and dignity because that's exactly how we have given ourselves that view. We are more dignified. We have more, we demand more respect in that way because we will say no to the sins that everyone else is giving into. Now, look, you don't have to listen to what I'm saying. I know that for some of you, this is an uncomfortable conversation to have. I get it and I understand. But I'm here to tell you. That you can choose to go down this path that is easy, or you can go down the more difficult one. And I'm going to just be honest with you. You can always give in later. Say no now and give in later if you find that it's not good. But here's what I found in my life. The longer that I walk towards what God has said I am, the longer that I walk towards what God has said I am worthy of, The less and the less and the less that I want to be associated with those things that cheapen me and cheapen His grace that He has given me. And I want to encourage you. You can always say, I'll go back the other way. But I bet you anything, you will find out that walking the path that God has for you, you will not regret it if you choose it. It is not easy, it is hard, but it is always worth it. And I want to encourage you, whether you're listening and agree or not, I'm here to tell you that this is something that you probably need to sit with a little bit. You need to let it soak into your heart because the truth is, is the truth. Whether we want to accept it or not, the truth is the truth and God's word is always true. Now, Chuck Swindoll had a great observation. I want to share it with you very quickly and I'm hastening to close. I'm just about done. The Bible Bible says here, uh, these things about Ahab and Jezebel, And this is what Chuck Swindoll kind of observed. He says, our tendency is to compare ourselves to others and say, well, I'm not as bad as Jezebel and Ahab, or we procrastinate and say, right now, it's too painful. I'll take care of it next week. And then he writes, Chuck Swindoll says, I plead with you, do not listen to one of those foolish excuses, comparison or procrastination. The devil's sharpest tool is delay. I love the way he says that. The devil's sharpest tool is delay. And I close with a serious warning. Don't play games with God. When he says enough, it is too late. And here's what I would say. I know that I have followed God and I have pursued him, not in any way close to perfectly. But I have lived this life living for the Lord for a long time. I'm almost 50 years old and I have really been trying my best to pursue him probably since I was about 18 years old, 17, 18 years old. And I will tell you that just because I knew what was right didn't mean that I always did what was right. And there were times where I realized that I had crossed the line and that the consequences were in my face and there was nothing that I could do about them. And I wished... That I had realized that I was all the way at the edge of God's patience wearing thin with me, and that I had turned back and gone the other way. But instead, because I had not had to pay for those sins right then, then I thought I was still okay. But here is the truth we don't know where we are on the patience of God, and we may be at the very edge. And then the consequences that we must pay may be just over the line that we stand on right now. And here's what I would share with you. You can't, you can't run it back. You can't. I would encourage you to stop where you are in that life and understand that you need to turn around and go back in a better direction. It may not remove all the consequences that you have but it will be something that makes it better for you than it was before. And here is how you apply this message. You make a choice to free yourself and free those that you love from the chains and the consequences of the sin that you've allowed to stay in your life. I told you this before, and I'll say that again. There are some things in my life that I never got victory over until I was accountable to another person with skin on, not, not God. But I had friends that were asking me, Randy, are you still doing this? And I had to say yes. And they said, you've got to stop. You are a man of God. You said that you wanted to be a man of God. You've got to follow through on these things. I made myself accountable, and I began to get victory in places that I never had victory before. Maybe you need to delete some things that are on your computer or in your life. You need to do some deleting. Maybe you need to distance yourself from a certain group of friends. Maybe you need to let some certain relationships die that, man, hey, it's, the, it's coronavirus time, man. What a perfect opportunity to let some of the things that are pulling you in the wrong direction just die and never get revived so you don't go down that road too far. I'm here to tell you, Make the decision as soon as you can because God is able to turn things around. And I want to do something that you may not see coming. If you've read these scriptures, maybe you remember, but maybe you don't. But if you read a little deeper and you find out at the very end of this chapter, I saved that. I didn't have Eric read it. Let me just explain to you. The Bible tells us that when Elijah said, you've sold yourself to do what was wrong, Elijah basically confronts him and chastises him, and Ahab says what we never thought we would hear from his lips. Basically, he says, He says, God, you're right. He says, God, you're right. The Bible tells us basically that he shows the signs of mourning and grieving and he rends his clothes, he puts on sackcloth and ashes. It's his way of outwardly expressing the humility in his heart before God. And God says, have you noticed? He's speaking to Elijah. He says, have you noticed that Ahab has repented and how he has humbled himself before me? Here is the amazing thing. As evil as Ahab has been... God forestalls, he, he puts off the, the things that he was going to do to Ahab, and he says, I'm not gonna punish him in the way that I was going to because he has humbled himself before me. Now, he's God, and I can't promise you that whatever you've done just gets fixed immediately. I wish I could, but I can't. He's God, you have to talk with him about it. But here's what I do know. Continuing to go down that path doesn't benefit you at all. But repentance will and always does. And even somebody as evil as Ahab repents and God turns around. It's found in 1 Kings chapter 21. And I'm just gonna have them put that up on the screen so that you can see it. And I I wanna keep moving here because we're coming to the end of where we have our time together. But here is the question that I have for you today. This is the big question that I believe that all of us need to be asking ourselves. Is there a place in my life that I know is not pleasing to God, but I've been justifying my actions to myself? And if that is true, Today is the day that you decide, you know what? I don't actually have to have those things in my life. I don't have to have the chains that I volunteered for. I'm ready to put them down and walk away. And here is what I would say. I would say I'm sharing these things with you, not because I'm glad to do so, not because I want to call you out and think that you or our people are terrible people. No, that ain't me. That ain't what I'm trying to do. I promise you I love you and everything that I'm talking about, is coming from a heart of love, from a pastor who loves you. You know I do. I know I do. I want to see what is best for you. And if I want that, I know that God wants that times a thousand. He wants your life to be better. And he knows that it can only be better as we turn to him, not away from him. Let me just share with you very quickly a story that's been around for forever. And I'm doing this as I close. There is a story of a little boy who was talked to by his dad. And he was a very, very angry little guy. And the the, the story goes that his dad would tell him, he'd say, Every time you lose your temper, I'm going to tell you to go out there and take a nail and a hammer and put a nail in the fence post that is out there at the side of our field. And so that's exactly what ended up happening. And so the little boy would get angry, and he'd lose his temper, and he'd have to go and get the nail and the, nail, uh, the hammer, and he'd put that nail in there. But the father said, every time you say something that is nice, I'm going to have you go back, and I'm going to have you pull one of those nails out of that fence post. And so that's exactly what ended up happening. The little boy not constantly wanting to go out and do the hammering and all the different things that he had to do when he lost his temper, finally realized how much of a slave to that habit he was. And he began to walk away from that. And one by one, the nails started coming out of that fence post. But here is what is so true and so interesting. The father took him out and he said, "Now I want you to see something. He said, I want you to look at this fence and these fence posts that you have been scarring up with your anger. And he said, here is the problem. He said, as you look, you've pulled the nails out and they're mostly gone. Almost all of them gone. But the problem is, is that there are holes that remain. And he said, and those holes won't be filled back in. Here's what I would say to you. The goodness and the grace of God extends to us at all times. And I'm gonna tell you that if ever there is a way for those holes in your life that have been caused by your own choices and sins that you thought you could handle, but instead have handled you, if those things are in your life, give them over to God right now. He is the only one who can bring something good from those things. He is the only one. And as we sing this song in just a moment, the, the, the beautiful theme Of this message is is that God can turn graves into gardens that's the song we're gonna sing that even when you have chosen to walk away and I have done the same that God can still bring about good things in our life he can bring beauty from ashes he can turn graves into gardens he can let those things which are dead come back to life again and it's all true but today is your day to call out to that God and not try to do it on your own. It is instead the day to say, God, whatever you have for me, I want it to be true and I want it to be something that I choose to walk in your path rather than my own. I wanna walk away from these chains that I've chosen and I wanna let those things which are consequential in my life be handled by you from this point forward and I don't want to be a person who thinks that a private sin will always be private. Instead, I give myself wholly and totally to you. This is what God desires. Don't let God's patience wear thin with you and with me. Let's reach out to him today. Heavenly Father, hear our prayer and salvage, Lord, those things which are salvageable in our lives. May we turn ourselves back to you and may we repent of those sins which have taken us out of your presence and out of your peace. And today, dear God, be with us. Bless us, Lord, with the things that we all need that you alone provide. In Jesus' name we pray.
2: God is so good. He is so good. You know, after the sermon today, each and every one of us right now should have a little fear, but also a little hope. And I would ask you, if you just listen to the sermon today and you don't have fear in your heart right now, you got to ask yourself, why is that? Because God, like, like Randy said, God he's patient God but at some point we go over that edge and we don't know where we are in God's timeline and so that fear automatically instills a defense mechanism that allows us to wash that out and not really pay attention to what Randy just talked about today and I encourage each and every one of us because if you believe this message wasn't for you That's probably part of the problem. So I encourage each and every one of us to just step back and allow that that defense mechanism to come down and really soak in what you learned today. We all know what we should be doing. We all know what God asks us to do. But yet we allow ourselves constantly to be driven by the devil. We see those holes in our lives and we say, It's never going to change. It's going to be what it is. I've already gotten too far. I've already went too far down the edge. But if you already went too far down the edge, why is God still holding on to you? Why is he still holding on to you? This is not a, a place of judgment. This is not a place for one person feeling that better than another because we all got our problems. And I just ask you to just Dig deep inside and ask yourself, how can you change? How can you be transformed? Go back and re-listen to this message today. There's a lot of messages we talk about, but this is a transformative message. Go back and listen to it again and reflect and pray and just ask God to help you through these times. What I've learned is when you ask God to step in, when you ask God to step in and say, God, don't even allow that to be in my life. Help me get away from that. It is amazing to see how God steps in. He starts putting challenges for you to sin. But you gotta reach out to him. We can't keep trying to live our lives the way we think is right because we don't think that we are worthy or we don't think that you know nothing can change because of our situations or circumstances. But I can tell you this, God is able, God is able. So we all just have to just have hope. Know that when we go to Him, He's just waiting on us. Go to Him. When we go to Him, everything changes. Lord Father, in the name of Jesus, I just thank you for this message today. I know it's a message for me and I know it's a message for others out there, Lord. And I ask you, Lord, Father, to allow us to be humble people, people who don't worry about how everybody else feel about us, because if we follow your will, all is going to be well. Allow us, Lord, Father, to seek you in our struggles, in a change that's holding us, Lord. Help us, Lord, Father, experience the freedom of living for you. And understanding that all these other things that we get, all this other mess that we get caught up in, Lord Father, all it's doing is just pulling us down. Help us see it no matter what age we are, no matter where we are in life. Help us see it, Lord Father. Even if we've been struggling with something for years and years and years, help us know, Lord Father, and be encouraged that all we need is you and it can change. And Lord Father, We just thank you, Lord, for this word. We thank you, Lord, for putting this in our heart today and for the spirit to be here today. We love you, God. In the name of Jesus, amen. We just heard God's word. Now let's go live it. Thank you.